either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You're sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, there's a brand new film for the horror community to fight about. And <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about that one. And more of the new flicks this week. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And let's start out with that little horror movie that could. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing. And all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. Skin a marink. In this house. Yeah, this movie has all kinds of talk about it right now. And and first of all, you might go online and see that some people are saying, wait a minute, this this movie came out a while ago. Well, no, it didn't. No, it was uh, it was stolen. It was pirated by uh, somebody who had early access to it and, and pretty openly because he tweeted online. If you want to see Skin Rink, like DM me. Yeah. So it's uh, it, and that's really unfortunate. And, and part of what makes it so remarkable that this movie is going to go on it's it was inexpensively made it was made for $15,000 and it had it got picked up by Shutter but also it has such great word of mouth that it is getting a nationwide yeah. theatrical release yeah. which is very uncommon anymore for truly low budget horror yeah and it's got a very interesting history the writer director is Kyle Edward Ball and this whole thing started i guess a few years ago he had a YouTube channel and what he would do he would make three to four minute micro short films that represented nightmares that viewers of his YouTube channel would send into him and he would make little films about it. And apparently as time went on, he, he started getting many of the same type of nightmares over and over. And then he decided to develop that. And the first, the first project that came out of that was a, about a half an hour short film, 28, 29 minutes, called Heck, mm-hmm. which you can find on YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. And this movie, Skinnamarink, is really the, the feature-length version of that. And it's going to be, well, it already is, one of those that if it works for you, it's really going to work. But it's probably just as likely not, and that is going to bring out the nothing happens, not scary at all type. And I'm already seeing it. Oh, sure. Because that's the nature. Not only is that the nature of fear, and we've mentioned that many times, but especially the fear that this movie taps into. Yeah, because, you know, people, your dreams, you know, it's funny for me, first of all, that so many people have such similar dreams, but it's because of very specific fears that individuals have and other individuals have similar fears. And that's what this does. If you haven't had this nightmare, then this movie probably isn't going to frighten you, although you might find it interesting in its experimental nature. But if you have had this nightmare, it's going to tap something quite primal in you. And maybe not this exact nightmare, but something close to it. And so it's these two kids, about, what do you think, about four years old, something like that? Yeah, four and five, I would yeah, think. Yeah, and they wake up in the middle of the night, the parents are gone, and all the the windows and the doors in their house disappear as well. And that's pretty much it. They wander around, they've got flashlights, they whisper to each other, you hear things. And the way it's constructed, you use the word um, experimental, that's a good word. Because the way uh, Ball and his cinematographer, Jamie McCrae, I think is the name, 
and the sound designer. They oh, do sure. a great job of mixing everything. You, it's it's got this. It's set in 1995, first of all, which is a perfect timestamp because it's all throwback. It looks very grainy, VHS. Yep. You have to strain. You want to hear everything, and you just hear these white noise, crackles, and pops. And then wait, is there another voice in there? besides the kids and then what do i see and you're straining to try to get some some comfort or some lay of the land and he never let you ball no, never let you because the, of his point of view yeah, camera work exactly the camera angles that he uses are he's so often it's the camera is almost on the floor at mm-hmm. floor level you're sort of peeking underneath the furniture at little bare feet on the other side or you're just seeing like the upper corner of a room it's 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 very disorienting very. much in the way uh you know in a dream you can't well, right. figure out the lay of the land because there isn't one. Yeah. And things like the toilet all of a sudden disappearing yep. may not make sense because in a dream it doesn't. Right. And that's what this is. It's basically a nightmare yes. on screen. Yeah. And it's really, really creepy in a lot of ways. I found it very creepy and 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 pretty effective because I can remember having a similar, not, not, not this exact dream, but I can remember having a similar dream when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really, really effective in that way. And if it taps into something in you, that's what this movie is going, that's when it's going to be, to be really um, one that you think about. Um, you know, in watching it, one of the first things I thought of was, I bet that this was a a common nightmare um, for children of divorce. That's a good point. Um, uh, that's, you know, uh, it, because it, I didn't have this dream, but the anxiety reminded me of what it was like as an adult to have lost both my parents. Uh-huh. And I thought, I can imagine how much more profound that sense would be if you're small and in a completely giant and terrifying world. And I appreciated it. I thought it was fascinating. I didn't think it was particularly scary because I've not had those dreams. Yeah. I thought it was more creepy, I mm-hmm. think, than scary, but very creepy. And if you like the more visceral, blood and gut stuff, then this is not going to be for you. No. And you can really get a good a good guess on whether you like it or not by watching the, the short film Heck, which mm-hmm. you can find on YouTube. And I will say one thing about it. There's one moment in the short film that I found really bone-chillingly creepy. Right. And it does not make it into the feature, which at first I was disappointed, but then the more I thought about it, it's a little more explanatory mm-hmm. than this film maybe one than he wanted to make this film. So a, a sort of understandable boy. That one moment in the short really got me and it's uh it's toward the end of it. But so if you have a half an hour to spare and and watch the short film heck and it it gets to you then you'll probably like this. But if not then you're going to be one of the crowds that just says nope, nothing happens, not scary for me. And I and I get it. Thank, uh, you you yeah. you are moved by different things. You know, I also think while it's a surprise to me that this has a theatrical release, I'm glad that it does because it's a movie that really benefits from patient attention, yeah. right? And if you watch it at home, you're going to get up and yeah. go to the bathroom, and you're going to eat the something. Dogs. And you're, yeah. yeah, because it's a movie that will make you want to do that. But if, you, if you're if you just in a darkened theater watching it, it would be so much more of a powerful experience. Yeah, because you're then... You feel more part of, part of it and more captive. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you can get up and walk out of a theater, but you're there in a dark room. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, no one's texting. And yeah, you can be more of an experience. <laughs> no very much so. Shoes. Yeah, <laughs> that really happened to us. Don't some woman in front of us uh, buying shoes uh, on her phone. Anyway, so I think yeah, I liked it probably more than you did. Although I do agree, it was a little too long. It's about a hundred minutes. Boy, it it really could have shaved, 10, shaved off ten or fifteen minutes, yeah. even even more. Could be even more lean and mean. But I thought it was a really great 
exercise in quote-unquote experimental filmmaking, yeah, what they were too, able yeah. to do with the camera, with the sound, with the budget, with these two little kids, oh, yeah. and occasionally an, an adult here or there. Let's leave it at that. Um, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it worked. I thought it really did. But uh, you had to have to know yourself and what kind of horror that you like. But I think for a certain segment, um, it will really be creepy and, yeah. and one that you might think about for a while. And that is out now. Yeah, nice uh, nationwide release for this little film called Skinnamarink. Next up is two guys deciding to host a house party at the home of a very famous person. It's a reboot of the 1990 comedy house party. This is the new house party. Oh, my God. We in LeBron's house. LeBron who? James! How about we throw the party in the King's house? We gonna invite all the celebrities. We can make 10 times the money. We can send Destiny to preschool, college, whatever. Tonight is our last shot. Looks like we up out to the house. Hi, I see you there. How are you? It's a white man. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You're going to jail, kid. This is a really bad idea. I wouldn't do something like this unless I was desperate. Your hairline is perfect. Anyone who says otherwise is just jealous. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Yeah, Kid and Play from back in the day. Yeah. 1990. I didn't realize it had been that long. It's getting a reboot here, and it stars Jacob Lattimore, who you may remember from, if you go all the way back to Detroit, he was in that. Mm -hmm. And he was in the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, he and Tosin Cole, uh, I think is his name, they're a couple of guys, and they're good buds, and they work at a cleaning company. And they have gotten the advance word that uh, company cameras have caught them not working so they're going to be fired <laughs> they're going to be fired and uh, they really have one last job uh, before they get fired and they need money especially Jacob Lattimore's uh, character Kevin because he needs money for his young daughter's school uh, so they go to this last cleaning job and it's an incredible mansion it's it's just insane and the more they walk around they wonder in whose house this is well it's LeBron James's house <laughs> And they get access to his planner, and they see that he's out of the country for like two weeks doing some meditation retreat or something like that. So they feel safe to raise some money by throwing a big party and charging everybody 100 bucks a head and have this big blowout. They're going to lose their jobs anyway, and they can raise a bunch of money. So that's the house party. Totally different from the reasoning for the right, house party right, right. from the first one, but okay. We get that. And, uh, and then they have one neighbor... Who, who comes over and has never met LeBron yet, and he wants to meet LeBron, and he has he, he has a pet koala. And the koala gets gets in with the shenanigans of the party. Right, and that's right, just right. that's one of the hijinks that goes on. But I had high hopes for this. I did because I thought it's the- It's a pretty good trailer. It was a pretty decent yeah, trailer. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it, it relies too much on the cameos. There's a lot of cameos of rappers and of basketball players, which you would expect if you're in LeBron James's house. But it really falls back too much on that. There are some laughs. I mean, they've got a guy, DJ Vic, who comes by to do the DJing. He's pretty funny. And there are moments here and there, but it just doesn't seem as inspired. It's certainly not as original as the first one. Right. It's it's a reboot. But it just doesn't seem as inspired, and it's just not as consistently funny. Although I will say, and you know, we admit to being LeBron James fans, but he has a good—he's a good sport about poking fun (laughs) at himself. Because you may have seen in the trailer— 
the guys discover there's a hologram that LeBron has in his house to give him compliments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk, talking about his hairline and talking about how he handed the decision and things like that and some other things that didn't make it into the trailer. So I, I will say LeBron has a good sport about that. But to, overall, just kind of sits there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. think if you're a big fan of the first one, you're probably not going to like it as much. No, it you'll be have, disappointed. Yeah, it just doesn't have the zest right. that the first one did. But there are moments here and there, but all, all in all, like you, I thought the I thought the trailer had some promise. doesn't really live up to it for the new house party out in theaters now. Well, next up is a very different kind of drama that is getting some Oscar buzz. It follows a donkey who encounters on his journeys good and bad people, experiences joy and pain, and explores a vision of modern Europe through the eyes of EO. EO. Yeah, you watched this first, and you were so high on it that I had to watch it too, mm-hmm. uh, because it is a very different type of movie. It's from Poland. Mm-hmm. It's getting a lot of buzz for a possible Oscar nomination for Best International Film, and so you do have some subtitles, but really there's not that much dialogue in it because it's through the eyes most of the time of this donkey. Yeah, it's it just follows this uh, sweet little gray donkey who deserves all the carrots, um, oh, you know. the carrot, especially that carrot necklace <laughs> oh that he God, has. I Isn't love that great? That. <laughs> you know, and uh, and he starts off, he's in a, in a circus yeah. and uh, and the circus gets shut down because of new laws about um, animal labor. But I will say the woman, the, his caretaker in the circus, in the circus, they really seem to love him. Yeah. And that's and I think that builds a lot of the melancholy that kind of underpins this is that. He really loves her, right? Too. He misses her exactly. Yes, he yeah. misses her, and she misses him. But you know, and then he, you know, he kind of maybe keeps looking for her because he, you know, I think he felt safe with her. And so, Agreed. in each of his new circumstances, it just builds such a sense of wonder. You see the donkey's eyes a lot, but then you also see what is apparently what the donkey's looking at. And sometimes it's wild horses, and sometimes it's a city street. And one point, it's a soccer game. And every so often, the film leaves. EO's point of view and takes another point of view like at one point it's a it's a bird that's soaring and that's we're looking down on the world from this bird this bird's perspective it's an absolutely gorgeous movie and it's so unlike any other movie that you've seen because as as opposed to having like a strict narrative yeah you know you are it's like a road trip movie except with that you know you're just you're on the road with this donkey who's incredibly sweet I want to warn you though that it's also quite heartbreaking. Like, truly, I, I spent so much of the movie just, like, so tense. Like, yeah, please because, get your little donkey butt to safety. Yeah, because like the synopsis says, the donkey does run into some not very nice people, as well as some nice people. Uh, the co-writer and director is Jerzy Skolomowski, and is very skillfully done about getting you to feel... For the donkey and getting you to think you know what the donkey is thinking yeah. and how the donkey is feeling and what the donkey is trying to do. And then there's a, not really a disclaimer, there's a statement at the end about how not only did they obviously not hurt any animals in making this, but that's the, the main concern of the filmmakers is yes. animal welfare. So yeah. you can kind of maybe then get the, the mission of this movie. But it's funny. I mean, he's so um, successful in, in, in that mission because he does, because he takes the the donkey's point of view that means the aud- we do and it creates 
an almost unendurable empathy, you know, for this animal because the animal is innocent and and viewers, we are not. And it's so beautiful, but it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And uh, definitely one that could see an Oscar nomination come here. I think the 24th are the nominations, Mm -hmm. I believe, coming soon. So we will see. It is out in theaters now. EO. And next up is another one that could very well see an international film Oscar nomination. This one follows Rama, a novelist who attends the trial of Lawrence Coley at the Saint-Omer, France criminal court to use her story to write a modern-day adaptation of the ancient myth of Medea. But things don't go as expected. This is called Saint-Omer. This is from co-writer and director Alice Diop, who up until now has only done documentaries. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely see that because her first narrative feature here is so steeped in authenticity. And it's so much based on really her own life and her own experience because the court, the trial that's going on in this film is about a woman who admits that she killed her 15-month-old daughter by leaving her at the water's edge uh, at the mercy of the tide, knowing that she would drown. She does admit to doing that, but her statement is that she is not the responsible party. And that is fascinating in itself. Now, this is based on a real case that Alice Diop was drawn to years ago to attend just like this character in the film, Rama does. Now, here, Rama is, a like the synopsis says, is a novelist and a, and a uh, teacher, which was not Alice Diop's motive for attending the real trial. She just said that she felt drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And then she wrote this character based on her experiences. And it's really interesting because we have talked many times about how films, we think, falter when they tell too much and show too little. Mm-hmm. And this film is the rare one that gets around that because it it's so talky. Mm-hmm. It's mainly anchored in the courtroom. And you've got the testimony of Coley, the court officials, the judge, and then the cross-examining attorney, defense attorney, prosecuting attorney, things like that. And then Rama just taking it all in. So there's a lot of talking, but it's so skillful in the way it gets points across in things that are not said. Mm-hmm. That's very skillful. And the bond, even though no matter who's talking or what side they're on, what you feel is the bond, the kinship uh, forming between Rama and this woman because they share so much. They're both of Senegalese descent. Rama is pregnant at the time, four months when she's attending this trial, and they were also in uh, mixed race relationships. So there's a lot of common ground there, and she just really feels drawn to her as we get the feeling that Alice Diop did to the to the real case. So it's just drenched in authenticity, and it's really, really effective because even though this crime, which really did occur, is, you know, unthinkable, mm-hmm. the film finds a way to—it begs for humanity, for mm-hmm. all involved, and that's a tough thing to do with a crime like this. Yeah. And the camera work is so steady and just observational the whole time. There is one little—I wouldn't call it showy, but at the— Toward the very, very end, there is one overtly noticeable piece of camera work that I think is is worthwhile to to invite us into the conversation, mm-hmm. let's say. And even there, there's a judge in the courtroom to, to make us think about 
um, how we would how we would treat it, how we would think about all involved um, if if we were there. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really it brings up some some great questions and conversations worth having about the the different cultures involved here, motherhood, the bonds between um, mother and child, and and also it in, involves a a great bit of biological testimony from a doctor about what happens between a, a mother and a child that is fascinating, fascinating that I didn't realize. Mm. Uh, fascinating to me. So it's just really worth seeing. A couple of great lead performances as well. Playing Rama is Keiji Kagame, hope I pronounced that right, and then playing Kohli is Goslage Malanda. Both very good and a really standout first narrative feature for Alice Diop. And again, one that could we could very well see get an Oscar nomination mm-hmm. here very soon. Out in theaters now called St. Omer. Well, speaking of documentaries, here's one spurred by the spectacle of a circus tent that goes up outside his Oakland apartment, a disabled filmmaker launches into a meditative journey exploring the history of freakdom, vision, and invisibility. This is called I Didn't See You There. I hope this is my last personal film. This is filmmaker Reed Davenport, and it is his eye view, his point of view uh, that we see through the entire film. Matt Weiner uh, reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. Loved it. I mean, it's it's a near perfect film with a completely unique vision, and and it's just so authentic. But what's also fascinating about, I mean, you know, it's it becomes very rhythmic. So much of it, you're just you know, the camera is pointing down. At the blacktop as he's just rolling forward. In his wheelchair, yeah. Just rhythmic, and until all of a sudden, abruptly, he has to stop, right? Because there's a scooter that's been just, you know, left in the middle of the sidewalk for him to maneuver around, things like that. But also, um, he's originally from the same hometown as P.T. Barnum. Right. And so, between that and the, you know, the the big top image that we see, it, it just, this movie says so much that needs to be said that really hasn't been because we are so rarely get the perspective of a of a person with disabilities. Usually, you know, if if we're watching a film about a person with disabilities, it's been made by somebody who doesn't have disabilities. And usually the whole point is how they cope with it or how they overcome it, as opposed to just this is just how they live. This is just how people live. It's a beautiful movie and yeah. just something that begs to be seen. Yeah, it really does. Uh, talk about point of view camera work. And it really put you right there because if you're not disabled and you don't have a wheelchair and you don't live this life then you don't think about it and and this puts you right there um and yeah talk about eye-opening yes very eye-opening and i'll be honest with you this shows my ignorance about it i never really thought that about those scooters i mean i found them i found them annoying and other but uh, for other reasons but then of course that makes perfect sense they just get left in the middle of the sidewalk right yeah, and and just something that yeah, I'm I've never stopped to think about because thankfully I didn't have to, mm-hmm. and this uh, puts you right there. So yeah, please read uh, Matt Weiner's full review. You're right, he loved it, loved mm-hmm. it, loved it at MadWolf.com. But a big recommendation for a uh, film that's out on VOD now, documentary called "I Didn't See You There." Next up is a drama with a protagonist named Jane who finds herself tumbling through a gauntlet of surreal, beautiful. And heartbreaking adventures. After dropping off her daughter at a summer camp for the first time and encouraging her reticent child to engage in new experiences, Jane finds herself heeding her own advice 
This is Jillian Jacobs in The Seven Faces of Jane. What version of yourself do you want to be? I feel like I just think about everybody else all the time. I don't, I don't even know. Maybe if you really knew me, you wouldn't even really like me that much, so. Dang, you're still the same. Wait a second. Who are you? I'm Jane, who are you? Ah! Oh my God, that actually both got a good. Jane, we want to know you. Open your mouth. Scream! Oh! Yes. Are you ready? For what? To wash yourself of yourself. This is actually another experimental film. Mm -hmm. um, and it's called, the approach is called The Beautiful Corpse. And Was not aware of that term. Yeah, and it is seven different filmmakers each of them filming their own small section of the movie, none of them knowing what the rest is doing. So, you know, you kind of hope for the best and hope it hangs together and everybody has their own approach. And, and, uh, and you know, if that sounds appealing to you, then I think it is an interesting movie. Christy Robb has a review for this one at MadWolf.com. And if that, you know, when you go into it with that mindset... It's an interesting idea, mm -hmm. and that alone pulls you through it. But if that's if you are not aware of it, and you just want to sit down and see a movie, it's probably going to be frustrating. I really like Jillian Jacobs. Mm -hmm. I loved her in that. Uh, I used to go here, and then she's been on TV. I think she had a was she on Parks and Rec or she one of was those on Parks and Rec, and she also is in those uh, Fear Street. Yes, yeah. yes. Anyway, I like her. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a fascinating uh, way of putting a movie together. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that. I really do. And it, you can. Understand how it might be just as likely to go totally off the rails right. as not. And so I do find it fascinating. And uh, I also like that term, beautiful corpse. I yeah. didn't <laughs> that's nice. But when you have somebody like Jillian Jacobs to hold it together, that, uh, that helps. She also directs two of the, the yeah. like, I think the opening and closing segment she directs. But yeah, she's, she's Jane, so she's the person. So you know that at least each of the filmmakers has talent to mm -hmm. work with in front of the camera. Gia, Cop Gia Coppola is another mm -hmm. one of the directors mm -hmm. as well. So very interesting, an interesting project. And check out the uh, Christy Robb's review at madwolf.com. And it is, it is available now on VOD called The Seven Faces of Jane. Next up, a horror mystery thriller. After starting a job at an eerie hardware store, an anxious young man uncovers a shocking mystery that leads to a fight against terrifying forces that lurk just behind the walls. It's called Human Resources. Sam, allow me to let you in on a little secret. Sarah? This store? Look at this place. It's teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. This is weird, Sam. Broke the rules, which are in place for a reason. I found this. Something horrible in this store. I have to find out what it is. Sarah? Can you hear me? What do you do? Stop! What do you do? We want this store to succeed, bro. Please! You have to get out! We are gonna need people like Sam Coleman in the Brooks Band. You have to fight for the culture! The commitment! Back to the core! Right, what are you talking about? Because here at Brooks Hardware Store, service matters most. Tori Haynes has this review for us at MadWolf.com and... It's one of those movies you root for. Filmmaker Braden Swope wrote this script when he was 19 and directed it not too long after. And it has some promise in at least concept, but absolutely no, none of it in execution. It's yeah. just, it's poorly put together. It's one of those movies that you watch and scream at the screen because... <laughs> 
everybody's behavior is just nonsensical. And what it needed was a little camp. It needed to yeah, embrace lean into a that tone bit, yeah. of camp, and it just doesn't. Yeah. Um, it, and that's, I think, its its biggest fault is that it cannot find a campy tone, which is the only thing it could have used to to make the the premise work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm probably there's probably a lot of things that I did when I was 19. I'm not too proud of either, and wouldn't want judged. But uh, hey, hopefully, it's the start of bigger and better things for Braden Swell. But that is available now on VOD called Human Resources. And Tori's full review is at MadWolf.com. And one more to round it out, another documentary. It tells the story of champion boxer Muhammad Ali through the eyes of his only biological son, Muhammad Ali Jr., who struggled with bullying, abandonment, addiction, family, and heartbreak to ultimately find peace. This is called My Father, Muhammad Ali. I wouldn't want to be the son of Muhammad Ali. No, I wouldn't take it. I think the fact that Muhammad Ali was his father, whether or not he was docile or could fight back, of course is going to make you susceptible to bullying. He cares and he wants to keep the legacy of his father alive. We're going to build gyms for kids that are being bullied where they can go and train and learn discipline. We're going to get them back into the gyms, teach them how to defend themselves so they can become the greatest that they can be. The greatest. My father told me one time, he said, I don't want you to be like me, I want you to be better than me. Why can't you be better than the greatest of all time? That's kind of big shoes to fill. I am your only son, Dad. Only I can carry on your legacy and your family name. I want you to be proud of me. Schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin reviewed this. I was going to say Drew the Short Straw, but we had two short straws this week. Yeah. And this is one that, you know, it could have done something interesting because Junior is very clearly an unreliable narrator. Yeah. And had the filmmakers kind of had the spine, the backbone to dive into that, to make that part of the perceptive nature of the film, it might have been hard to watch, but it might have also been an interesting documentary, but they don't do anything well. Yeah, I think uh, Daniel thought that the filmmakers knew that. They were just kind of sidestepping mm-hmm. around it mm-hmm. instead of diving into it. Yeah, I was disappointed because, you know, growing up in the 70s, Muhammad Ali was a larger-than-life figure, and I'm always interested. There's been many documentaries about not only about him, but about events around him that are usually fascinating. So I was disappointed about this one. It just doesn't go off in the directions that would have made it more compelling. Mm-hmm. And it is, and you can check out uh, Daniel, the Shocketeers, full review at madwolf.com, and that is out on VOD right now. My father, Muhammad Ali. And speaking of Daniel, let's head off to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, hipping us to uh, what's new with studio dates and movie releases. What's going on? Well, uh, Magnet's Kit Harrington starring horror film Baby Room will arrive on VOD and in limited theatrical release on February 3rd. Cinedime will release the indie horror film The Outwaters in theaters on February 9th, and then that one will hit streaming on Screenbox later in the spring. There's a Jewish folklore-based horror romance called Attachment that will be premiering on Shudder on February 9th. And Neil Jordan's noir crime thriller Marlowe will hit theaters on February 15th. And that's apparently um, Liam Neeson's 100th film. Holy moly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Liam cranking him out. Apparently. Hopefully this one will be a little bit better than his recent one since uh, re-teaming with Neil Jordan. Yes, that would be good. Um, Netflix has set a February 24th premiere for Happy Death Day and Freaky director Christopher Landon's new horror comedy, We Have a Ghost, which will finally answer the question, what would happen if a family moved into their latest home and it was haunted by David Harbour? 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> yep, back again with something fun right after Violent Night. Sure, sure. And, of course, here's the biggest one. Um, A24 has set an April 21st release for Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. Yeah, I've been looking at uh, some of the early early uh, trailers and pictures for that. looks interesting. Yeah, he's he's got my attention no matter what on yeah, that one. Yeah, same. And uh, I've got one more for you. Sony has set a May 26th theatrical release for their comedy The Machine, which stars comedian Burt Kreischer and Mark Hamill. Oh, all right, Mark Hamill. And that's it? Yep, that's all, all right. I got for you. Oh, that's good enough, though. Always catch up with Daniel for the latest news uh, online at the Schlocketeer. Thank you, as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got the follow-up to the movie Searching from a couple of years ago that we thought was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. The new one is called Missing. Also, Alice Darling. One called The Son, sort of a bookend to the movie The Father mm-hmm. that won um, uh, Anthony Hopkins an Academy Award. So The Son is next week. An amazing uh, international film called Holy Spider. Also, nice to see this, a mm-hmm. film that we got to see at Nightmares Film Festival a couple of years back coming out called Take Back the Night. All Eyes Off Me. Uh, legions. There's Something Wrong with the Children. Mm-hmm, always. And one called Back to the Wharf. So that's all next week. But what about this week? Where do you stand on the skin of a rank? Did it work for you? Was it boring for you? Let's talk about it. Uh, especially love to talk about those horror movies. So it's fun to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, and the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there at madwolf.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Mad Wolf Columbus. So whichever way, we hope you will keep in touch. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Come upstairs. <laughs> Where's Mom? <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>